Welcome to our Earth Day show. My name is Allison, and I'm a master's student in human rights at the University of Oslo. I'm here to facilitate a conversation about the politicization of conservationism with a focus on Nilafar Bayani, an imprisoned conservationist in Iran. The show will be broadcast on the Snacker Ikenorsk channel via Radio Nova. Today's guests are Elise Auerbach, the Iran country specialist for Amnesty International USA, Jasmine Ramsey, the Director of Communications at the Center for Human Rights in Iran, and Vivi Stavru, the Executive Secretary of the International Science Council's Committee for Freedom and Responsibility in Science. Welcome and thanks for joining me. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to quickly outline Nilafar's case for the listeners. Nilafar and seven of her colleagues were arrested by the Iranian authorities in 2018 for setting camera traps to study the critically endangered Asiatic cheetah. She was subsequently charged with espionage in a closed door trial. Currently, Nilafar is serving her 10 year sentence in the notorious Evan prison and has endured psychological torture, inhuman or degrading treatment, and threats of sexual violence there. So obviously studying the Asiatic cheetah is not a crime. Vivi, I wanted to start with you, but for all of these questions, anybody should feel free to chime in. Uh, why is Iran labeling conservationists as security threats and criminals? Well, first to say thank you for inviting me, Alison, and hello to your listeners. Uh, multiple reasons. I'll start with, with some more political ones. I think partly because their work has international funding and attention. Uh, the UN Development Program has funded several initiatives in Iran, including the conservation of the Asiatic Cheetah Program and the conservation of the Iranian Wetlands Program. And also partially because the government is trying to protect the financial interests of powerful institutions. So, for example, companies linked to the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps have been involved in dam building businesses. The military has commandeered wildlife protection areas. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, other reasons are that, um, you know, they're very complex issues at play. Uh, the more... Um, the more involved conservationists are with institutions and bodies outside of Iran, uh, the more attention they will get from the government, and that is is acted in very negative ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about any case in Iran, not just conservation, but just like this espionage paranoia, especially the connections with the U.S. And there's also something specifically about the environment that it, it just like has the the capacity to unite people. And I think that public pressure is scaring, you know, the Iranian regime. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there are obviously a lot of human rights violations at play here, but the ones most relevant to Nilafar's conservation research are the rights to education and freedom of expression. So I wanted to ask you, Jasmine, why should everyone, especially students, care about protecting these rights for Nilafar and other conservationists? Well, I guess the answer would be, it could be you. So Nilufar was a conservation scientist that 
went to her country of birth with all kinds of good intentions. She wanted to study this endangered species. We have evidence that that's exactly what she was doing. That's what camera traps are for. Um, and she was caught in this huge web and we have yet to see an ounce of any kind of credible sense of evidence of any wrongdoing amongst any of these conservationists. It's also very important to note that her colleague, Kavu Sayed Amami, who was detained in January 2018 with this group, he was the managing director of the uh, nonprofit that they worked for. He died while in state custody, held for interrogations under extremely suspicious circumstances. Um, and there has never been any independent investigation allowed. His family was harassed. His wife was uh, forbidden from leaving the country for more than a year after she lost her husband. Um, and there has been no one held accountable for his death, even though the state prisons organization and the judiciary are responsible for the well-being of prisoners. Nilufar is a young student, just like myself, Iranian-born, who went there to try to help her country. And uh, she's basically there without a voice. Um, uh, and I should add that she actually courageously stood up in a courtroom in front of a notorious judge and spoke out against the physical and psychological torture that she has endured while held for months for interrogations with severely restricted access to counsel. And this is unheard of in the Iranian court system. Very rarely has a detainee spoken out like that. Um, and she was basically speaking up for all the others who have been there before her. So if someone is so courageous to do things like that, uh, the least that we can do is speak up for her. Right. Yeah. And I like what you said there that like she's just been caught in this web. It has almost nothing to do with her personally. Mm -hmm. It's just the like the Iranian regime playing politics again with just like you said, a young girl, a researcher who's just trying to do her work. The intelligence agencies. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, playing with people's lives. Yeah. For sure. Elise, was there anything you wanted to add, especially about the human rights violations at play here? Um, yeah, well, I mean, the Iranian government actually has a pretty long history of, um, of targeting environmental activists. Um, I mean, Iran actually has a number of um, very serious environmental challenges. Um, part, of, uh, part of it, you know, is because of uh, climate change. Um, one big problem is uh, Lake Urumiya, which is in the northwest part of Iran, has actually shrunk in size. Um, and there have been a number of protests around um, the shrinking, you know, the government policies, development policies, damming of rivers and so forth um, that greatly impact, you know, Lake Urumiya and a lot of people who live in that area. Um, who a lot of whom happen to be ethnic Azeris, you know, sort of, um, um, it's, it's a fairly, it's quite a large uh, ethnic minority in Iran, but still, you know, they are, an, uh, you know, a minority, um, a Turkish speaking minority. And they've, um, you know, there were um, a number of protests against, um, against the government uh, development policies um, that affected Lake Urumiya about 10 years ago in 2011. And there were a number of protests against, um, you know, activists who were very concerned about losing their livelihood, people who gained their uh, income and their, their livelihood from fishing and from the resources of Lake Urumiya. And then, you know, even more recently, 
um, there was a high government official, Kaveh Madani, who actually um, was the deputy uh, head of the uh, Iranian de uh, Department of the Environment. And he was actually arrested and, and targeted, and he actually had to leave the country. And he's in the United States now, and he can't go back because you know he's he, he's fearful of being targeted again. So there's like a long history of the Iranian government targeting environmental activists, um, but not only environmental activists, um, as my colleagues have have mentioned. Um, you know, the government will target people who have ties to the West. I mean, Nilofar actually was a student at Columbia. You know, she worked for the UN in Geneva. Um, and I think it's not an accident that both she and uh, her colleague Morad Tahfaz, who's actually a, uh, he's a triple citizen. He's like a citizen of both Iran, the UK, and the United States. And both of them were the ones that got the longest sentences, you know, 10-year sentences. You know, the other, you know, several of the other uh, of the eight, you know, got got shorter sentences. But the Iranian, I think, you know, the intelligence authorities in Iran have a kind of incentive to, to target, you know, people like, um, like Nilofar. Um, they actually get rewarded, you know, for sort of catching, you know, people who, who you know, who can be accused of espionage. They sort of fit into this this narrative that the Iranian government is being besieged uh, by uh, a fifth column of, of people within 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 Iran who are trying to undermine, who are in collusion with uh, forces in the West, are trying to um, undermine the Iranian government. So um, so anyway, so this there's a long history of people like that being targeted. Right. Yeah. Now, obviously, in recent years, the, the climate change movement has become more salient. Has there been an uptick in targeting? Or like you said, this is just they've always been doing this. Yeah, I mean, this I mean, I think it's an ongoing crisis. And, you know, also, I mean, you know, there's, you know, there, there's a sort of an environmental justice aspect also in Iran. For instance, one of the most polluted parts of Iran is the uh, southwest part of Iran, Khuzestan, where, you know, uh, another minority group, Ahwazi Arabs live. You know, the city of Ahwaz is like one of the most polluted cities in Iran. And fairly recently, you know, there were very disturbing pictures of people who had to go about wearing gas masks because they could, you know, couldn't even breathe because it was so polluted. But the ironic thing about that is that Khuzestan happens to be the part of Iran where most of the oil is. And yet the people who live there, who happen to be ethnic Arabs, do not profit at all from the oil industry. You know, the, the Revolutionary Guards and other wealthy and well-connected interests are the ones who, who profit from the oil industry. Um, and, the, uh, and the people who live there actually have to, have to can, cannot even breathe, you know, the air in the city they live in. Right. Yeah. I actually didn't think about that. Like there's also economic interests at play here as well. Um, I um, also had another question. Can I just add? Oh, yeah. Sorry, Allison. I just wanted to add really quick in case there's any doubt in people's minds about who these people actually were. They were operating in Iran at a nonprofit that was allowed to operate, that was invited there. There was ties, of course, to the UN, to the government. They were audited. And um, once the charges became clear, and it was clear that they, the Revolutionary Guards Intelligence Organization was very set on getting these people in prison, actually, the head of the intelligence 
intelligence ministry in Iran spoke out and said that there was no evidence to support the charges, as did the head of the, uh, the Department of Environment. So you had multiple state agencies and, oh, sorry, also the Supreme National Security Council. Uh, so all these state agencies came out and said that these char charges were totally false. And yet these conservationists who are used to being outside, the, the deepest irony there is that they are behind bars and yet they were the, they're used to being outside, you know, in nature, um, basically just again caught in this web, this political web. Um, and it's, it's a true, true despicable tragedy that this is happening and that nothing has been done to stop it. Right. I think that's one of the sickest parts about it. It's like kind of just like the the parallel symbolism between Nilafar and the 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 animals that she's trying to protect. Like, just you know, Iran's endangered conservationists. Yes, yeah, right, exactly. And you actually brought up a, a something important for the next question that I wanted to ask. You were talking about like all of these different like state actors who were actually um, against Nilafar's imprisonment. So I it kind of seems like it kind of it comes down to Ayatollah Khamenei. And just like the high-ranking Iranian authorities uh, keeping her imprisoned. So this question is actually for Elise, but if anybody else wants to chime in first, please go ahead. Um, do you think that Ayatollah Khamenei and the Iranian authorities are more likely to budge on Nilafar's case and release her, uh, given the broad popularity and just uniting nature of conservationism, or is this just one in the same of all of the other cases in Iran? Um. Well, let's put it this way. Um, ha, you know, trying to um, achieve any success with these kind of uh, these prisoner of conscience cases, um, it requires a very concerted effort by activists, by activists from all you know different organizations, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, the Center for Human Rights in Iran, you know, other you know concerned people around the world. Whenever there's been a case of um, of a prominent person like Nilafar, you know, imprisoned in Iran, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking of the example of Omid Kokabi, a very famous Iranian physicist, mm -hmm. and it's somewhat of a similar kind of situation where he was accused of espionage. You know, he was actually pursuing postdoctoral research at the University of Texas, and it took several years of very focused campaigning. To, uh, to achieve his release. Um, now, the Iranian authorities will very often tell the families of, uh, of, you know, the families of prisoners of conscience and prisoners of conscience themselves, you know, don't make a fuss, you know, just lie low, you know, don't publicize, you know, don't, don't let other people outside know what's going on, you know, and some people actually <laughs> listen to the authorities you know, the authorities will tell them, oh, your case is going to go well if you just keep quiet about it. But that's that's absolutely not not what people should do. Um, making a huge, big stink, you know, constantly pressing the authorities, you know, flooding the Iranian government with protests is actually the only thing that has actually worked um, in the past to, to be able to achieve the release of, of prominent prisoners of conscience. I mean, it, it can be done. But it, it is it is an uphill battle. Um, of course, we would like there to be systemic change in Iran, um, as opposed to having to fight each battle one by one. But um, but yes, I think I, I I do think that we can achieve success by persistent activism. Right. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, this actually also ties well into the question that I wanted to ask all of you. Um, you're talking about like international pressure um, is like the only thing that can work. But, you know, a lot of the listeners here are students. So what can like the listeners, students, and, and your average person do to support Neil Afar and other scholars at risk? And uh, Vivi, if you wanted to go first, that would be great. Well, I mean, I think people can lend their voices to existing campaigns. So, for example, uh, scholars at risk have a campaign. Students and academics can advocate and try and influence their student bodies. Uh, and student bodies, especially in terms of their political activism, uh, their universities have got voices, universities belong to uh, global networks and organizations, uh, students and um, academics belong to disciplinary associations, and they can make quite um, targeted advocacy, uh, particularly for these people who are scientists doing their everyday work. Um, so we can pick up on, on, on the work and the science aspect. And the broader issue of scholars at risk of environmentalists and environmental change activists being targeted for their work. I mean, Norway is currently on the UN Security Council, and I don't know what um, avenues, how civil society, how the scientific community uh, how local politics are linked up in terms of advocating. I don't know what um, avenues exist and how strong they are in Norway, but certainly um, that should be done because everybody should care. I mean, as Yasmin mentioned earlier, um, this could happen to anybody. Uh, and above all, at-risk scientists are human beings who devoted their their lives to work in ways that benefit, not harm humanity. Mm, right. And that's and the thing just, about. oh no, sorry, I cut you sorry. off again, go right ahead. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to add on to, to Vivi's answer that the university, uh, Nilfar was both at McGill University in Canada and Columbia University. And the Iranians really do value kind of academic, uh, ties that they have internationally. Um, speaking out from the university's perspective would be great kind of pressure. There was a big bang of pressure in the beginning uh, when the initial sentences were given out. Lots of people, including the Jane Goodall Institute, spoke out. But then that kind of died away. And just as with environmental activism, it really is kind of a long and dedicated path that you sometimes have to commit to. So it would be great if we could restart this, that kind of energy that there was in the beginning. And I wanted to say, you know, specifically, uh, the students have a little bit less leverage on this, but bringing up these cases when Western media interview Iranian officials is very important because they can't just allow the Iranian officials to control the narrative and keep it about the nuclear deal and what is Iran's nuclear negotiating position. What about these people that you are holding there without any semblance of due process? What about those people? It would be great if media could also be pressured. And one way you can do that is get informed about the case, get informed about environmental issues in Iran as well, not just these cases, and then tweet at reporters that you see interviewing journalists and say, could you ask about this? That's one way that you can put kind of 
pressure indirectly on these officials that have a lot of leverage in these cases. The Iranian officials hate being asked about these things. So the more you ask them about it, the better. Yeah, for sure. And is there anything specifically that the Center for Human Rights in Iran is uh, like advocating for or working towards for Nilafar's case right now? Like you said, it's a bit difficult. She's been in prison for a while. It's hard to keep the momentum going. Right. Yeah. So we work directly with the UN on many cases. It's a it's a slow process, um, and we do public advo- advocacy campaigns. We also worked with um, international wildlife organizations. Um, you know, there's petitions out there. Pretty much every avenue that we can take um, to bring this issue back to the fore- forefront. Uh, we've been taking. And also, by the way, it's important to note that during a furlough, this big furlough that they gave to political prisoners, or excuse me, to prisoners in Iran uh, to prevent, uh, protect them from COVID-19, which is rampant in the country, and uh, prisoners are at particular risk, particularly because Iran's prisons are overpopulated. Most of these political prisoners were excluded from these releases. So um, that's also important that they she remains at risk, you know, in a under-resourced prison with an under-resourced clinic. Um, and that's something to bring up as well in, right. in, in uh, advocating for these cases. Right. Yeah. COVID has added just a whole new dimension to these cases. And then, Elise, from your perspective at Amnesty International USA, um, what what do you what do you think that students and our listeners can do to support Nilafar and other like conservationists like her? Yeah, well, I agree with Vivi and and Yasmin. Um, you know, just constant pressure on the Iranian government, letters, petitions. Um, you know, we uh, every year Amnesty International USA puts out a no ruse action. You know, no ruse is the Iranian New Year, um, <clears throat> and uh, Nilafar has been one of the subjects of our no ruse action for the past couple of years. Um, so the no ruse action is on the Amnesty uh, International USA website, um, and uh, you know people can actually take the action through the end of April. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to uh, to to send lots of cards. Um, you know, to show the Iranian authorities that people care about Nilafar and what's going on with her. And also, I mean, I think it's really important that um, that academics, students, academics remind the Iranian government that they need people like Nilafar. They need scientists. They need environmental activists. They need um, very well-educated people who can who can actually work on all of Iran's very difficult problems. I mean, these, these, uh, these environmental problems are not just sort of a, a niche problem for an elite. These are problems that affect the entire country. They, they affect, they're going to undermine the Iranian economy. You know, Iran wants to, uh, it, you know, increase its tourism, you know, but I mean, if, if people, if, if, if the national parks are being devastated, um, you know, it's going to be a problem for, for Iran to attract tourists. Um, you know, if, if, if the economy is, is being devastated because of pollution and because of the problems with development and climate change, that's going to affect the entire population and they need scientists and experts. And right now, I mean, Iran, I mean, some, some Iranian officials actually will admit that there's a, a brain drain problem. Um, but um, but you know they're not. I mean, obviously, 
people are going to, you know, experts, scientists who have an opportunity to, to live and work outside of Iran are going to look at the case of Nila Farr and the other conservation scientists and think to themselves, you know, is it really safe for me to stay in Iran? I mean, um, so the Iranian authorities are just basically shooting themselves in both feet <laughs> by persecuting people like Nila Farr. Um, in terms of in terms of the national interest, they're undermining their national interest by by scaring people like Nila Farr away from Iran. They need people like her. So scientists, you know, academics, students, people in the universities need to remind the Iranian authorities about this. Great. Yeah. It's great that we're ending on a call to action. And it sounds like we're all in agreement or where everybody is saying that this grassroots massive advocacy can work. It, we can, it's, it's possible to achieve her release that way as well. So yeah, I just wanted to end by thanking you all again for joining me and for sharing your insights on Neelofar's case, human rights and conservationism on this Earth Day show. Yep, thank you and bye. Yeah, thank, thank you, Allison. Thanks everyone. Thanks everybody. Bye.